Hello and welcome to a CM Murray podcast. I am Sarah Chilton. I'm a partner at CM Murray and I'm joined today with two of my colleagues, Associate Wanu Sanda and our trainee George Pitsy. We are going to discuss today a couple of issues which have arisen in the context of coronavirus, really arising out of a number of reports which document that BAME workers are more disproportionately impacted by coronavirus and in particular the really sad stories about the number of bus drivers employed by TfL who sadly have lost their lives since the pandemic started um, in February 2020. So to kick off, uh, we're going to look at whether or not employers might have heightened responsibilities in terms of employing workers who might be at greater risk of coronavirus. And um, that may be uh, BAME workers, but it may also be workers who are older, workers who are male, or workers who have particular health conditions. All of these, of course, are likely to be people who have protected characteristics within the Equality Act 2010. And therefore, it's possible that employers have both additional responsibilities to these workers, but also may, in fact, uh, come under slightly greater risk if they seek to make adjustments to those workers' work conditions. Um, we're then going to go on to talk about some of the potential responsibilities that employers may have to workers and to their families in the case of bereaved families. Um, and whether or not there's anything employers have to do in that regard. Um, but to start off, let's just touch on the issue of when an employer is either requiring workers to come back to work, as is happening across the country now, or in fact in a situation where workers have always been at work, as was the case with bus drivers, and whether or not employers need to conduct any sort of risk assessment, and in doing so, what factors do they need to take account of? Wanu, is there an obligation for employers to conduct risk assessments in this situation? So the straightforward answer is yes. All employers should be conducting risk assessments when considering returning people to the workplace. Um, that's a legal requirement if you've got more than uh, five employees to have it written down. But generally, we advise that you should be doing it regardless. So even if it's not an obligation to have it written down, it does help once you've gone through that process um, to, to write it down somewhere. Um, and so what you'd be looking at is the risk for the whole workplace. But as you've highlighted, Sarah, there are additional risks that should be taken into account for certain categories of people within the workplace. And that could be people with disabilities, um, but particularly in the context we're discussing here, um, people um, of, in the BAME category. So people of black and um, ethnic minorities. Uh, and that is because there has been some statistics out there that suggest that certain categories of people are more likely to either contract the virus or have a higher risk of death from the virus. And so that's just an additional sort of factor that would come in when you are assessing uh, a risk assessment on returning to work. Um, and those risk assessments aren't supposed to be very you know generic and just rolled out and, and being a template they really have to be engaging the the actual workers that you have so they need to be they need to be tailored um to to the categories of people that you have within the workplace and what that will require for a lot of employers is gathering some data first about the characteristics of the people um that are within the workplace um and that could be through questionnaires, it could be through getting a specific health professional expert in to ensure that they can gather that information. Um, and for employers, they also have to consider in this context their obligations around data privacy 
um, because a lot of the data that they'd be asking for, for example, around um, you know racial racial categorization, potentially um, pre-existing health issues, will probably fall into sort of special category data for which they would have to have a legitimate reason for processing. So employers would need to keep that in mind as well. Um, and then you know you were going on to to sort of talk about that idea of re returning and what other sort of risks uh, might be presented to an employer. So an employer you can see for many reasons will may want to get employees back into the workplace quickly, but they would also have to think about the impact on those groups that we've mentioned, because for some of those groups, if their risk, uh, their um, exposure to risk is increased, then potentially the liability of a uh, employer could be increased if they return them without making any adjustments to the workplace to um, facilitate that person's return. But on the flip side of the coin, if an employer goes in and, and does a sort of a blanket approach to returning everybody or not returning everybody who falls within a certain category, so you know, not returning all the ethnic minorities because they may be more at risk of contracting the virus, then again, they could potentially be in, in the sort of realm of indirect discrimination um, liability and so employers really need to think carefully about how they are approaching this and it does need to be on a tailored individual basis when they are looking at those risk assessments as to what the risks are for those individual people but also what are the measures that can be put in place it may not just be you know you stay at home um, that can help those individuals uh, return to the workplace if that indeed is what the employer is doing um, in a safe manner. And it's probably also worth saying, I think, that it's not a case of just working out which of your workforce are perhaps within an ethnic minority group, because actually they may be just different risk profiles as between ethnic minorities. And, you know, we've already seen data which suggests that people who are black are more at risk potentially than other ethnic minorities. And it's relevant for employers to know that information and to a very individualised um, basis look at the, the risk. And I think the other thing that I find you know, quite important for employers is to not just make blanket assessments and bear in mind that, you know, just because someone has got one measure of risk in their risk profile, their other measures might be low risk, which might actually mean that they are lower risk than someone else who might, um, you know, have low level risk in a particular number of, of categories, but would potentially overall be of a higher risk. So I think in that context, it's really worth employers where they have people who are flagging up as any potential heightened risk on their risk assessment questionnaires, for example, to be referring that to specialists or at least be bringing in a specialist or getting some specialist advice as to how to then actually analyse that data so that they're treating people fairly. Um, and I think as well, you know, referring individuals to, for example, occupational health for the risk assessment to be conducted is going to be really good idea in a number of cases because it may be that in fact there's other risks to take into account for example the risk of someone staying at home on their mental well-being might be offset against the risk of traveling in on on the tube for example so i think it's really important to look at everything in the round um but yeah i mean it's, it's quite a difficult one because i think employers are so conscious of not treating people differently based on protected characteristics and then here along comes this global pandemic that does not affect people equally and we don't know exactly why whether that's um, physiological or, or whether that's socioeconomic we just don't have the clear data on that yet and employers are suddenly faced with a situation where they're being effectively 
told to treat people differently and that's really uncomfortable for some employers but really important that they do that but they do that in a in a kind of considered managed way based on the the data not based on their assumptions and also i would add with an approach that takes into account consultation so just from a, a well-being employer kind of good practice point of view it always makes sense to involve the people who are the subject of the risk assessment and to consult them around you know the best way to respond to those data requests and they may have ideas about how to uh, formulate those questionnaires or how to get the you know get the best responses so it's not just a case necessarily of the employer putting something into place and then rolling it out there is a, a role for consultation within that and around also any measures that the employer might consider putting into place um, consultation is extremely important and I think as well it's worth saying that individuals will have their own risk appetite and to a degree you know the employer should discuss the individual's appetite for risk there may be some risks the employer is simply not prepared to take because there's liability connected to that but there may be risks for the employer is happy to allow someone to take maybe the risk of traveling on the tube for example but is also happy to allow other employees not to travel on the tube because they're just not prepared to take that risk themselves and and that will also improve employee relations in this time one further point before we move on to the other topic we want to touch on is really around whether or not an employer could be liable so let's say for example tfl had a number of bus drivers who um, sadly died in service uh, as a result of coronavirus and one of the questions that has arisen from that is well could tfl be held liable for those uh, bus drivers ultimately losing their lives um, and you know you can also imagine situations we're hearing a lot about post-covid conditions where it's actually there's a long-term health impact of coronavirus and you know if someone has that they might be wondering whether or not they could bring a personal injury claim against their employer for having contracted coronavirus because of the job that they do is that something employers should be worried about not necessarily overly worried it is a risk area because all employers will have a duty of care to their employees um, health and safety and that would potentially include their health um, and risk for contracting coronavirus if that was increased um, by their work environment for a lot of employers and employees and any families who've, who've unfortunately suffered bereavement, the problem will be that showing that any breach or anything that they would argue that the employer should have done to mitigate against the risk of the individual contracting coronavirus within the, the workplace, um, either, like you say, on their journey by making sure that they travel at a different time or or in the workplace itself because they're not practicing safe social distancing, whatever the case might be, whatever the breach is that's pointed to, the difficulty will be showing that the, um, the illness was contracted because of that breach, because obviously outside of the work environment and even the taking into account traveling into work, a lot of people will have been interacting socially as well. Um, and so it might not be quite clear that the causation, the, you know, the cause of the uh, illness was a failure uh, by the employer to to protect that individual's um, health and safety. So there is a risk there, and that's why that risk should really be dealt with by a proper risk assessment that shows that the employer has considered properly what the risks are and how they could best mitigate against it. And that's probably the best approach to take rather than overly worrying about 
potential personal injury claims um, which might come down the line could be unavoidable employers should really be more just proactive looking at what they can do to help protect and maintain the health and safety of their their workers now and talking about legal action in the context of health and safety it's probably relevant to talk about PPE I say that obviously because there's current legal action against the UK government in respect of PPE procurement it does make me think about PPE and and that that's a relevant consideration if people are in particular roles where they should have proper PPE and we're not talking about face coverings we're talking about you know the provision of proper you know face masks and visors and gloves uh, you know medical grade uh, for example in care homes and you know if that is not provided that may be a really um, obvious source of a failure on the part of an employer in respect of their duties yeah so that would be uh, something that should be picked up in an assessment so if an assessment is saying there are a lot of touch points in this person's workplace just during their normal day-to-day job then the employer needs to be looking at whether or not that's going to pose a higher risk to that person um, when they're carrying out their job and like you say if there's something you can do to mitigate against that again it should come out within the risk assessment um, it could be like you say gloves it could be making sure that people are told in advance where they can go and where they can't go where they can sit and where they can't sit to ensure that you minimize the risk as much as possible yeah and and there's particular provision in respect of ppe in, in statute in the uk to provide that every employer should provide it and unless that they can adequately control that risk another way which as you say has been recommended in a number of occasions by social distancing and in fact i'm sitting in the cmre office at the moment surrounded by black and yellow tape covering up a number of chairs and uh, bits of the floor and with various different routes uh, outlined um, to make sure that anyone else who might come to join me here albeit mostly flying solo in the office um, is adequately protected in that respect so I think we then really want to go on and talk about a kind of connected issue. If in the very um, extreme cases, unfortunately, families suffer bereavement as a result of someone losing their life contracting coronavirus at work or in the course of their employment, you know, there's other issues there that people might want to think about. Wanu and George, do you want to just share some of those thoughts? As you're saying, there have been a few unfortunate cases of of people dying from coronavirus and um, attributing that to having been exposed to it whilst at work. And in those cases, families may be looking at what sort of benefits might be available uh, to them. And there have been a few employers, a few public employers, um, who have sought to go a bit further to make sure that they can provide some support to the families of these people. So first of all, I mean, I think what might be worth exploring is whether or not employers in the first place have any particular um, obligations in terms of benefits to families who may suffer such a bereavement. The short answer is no. There's no obligation on employers to provide the death in service benefit. This is why it's such an issue at the moment is that there are circumstances in which people don't benefit from this. And if an employee should benefit from it, so if if the employer does offer um, some sort of death in service benefit, what should an employee or an employer be looking to do around that? Should they, you know, do they have to take any particular steps? If death in service benefit is provided by the employer to the employee, it will often be linked to a pension scheme. 
And obviously not all employees may participate in the company pension scheme. And in those circumstances, notwithstanding the fact that it's broadly available to the employees of the company, they would actually then not benefit from the death and service benefit. So our advice right now is that employers and employees should be checking whether or not death and service is a benefit uh, provided by the company, either to everyone on the payroll or as part of the pension package. And then employers should know if there are people who aren't enrolled, uh, you should circulate information again, remind people uh, that this is available and certainly employees um, should be live to it and uh, consider opting in. Both employers and employees should be particularly aware if they're working roles where they'd be more exposed to possible infection of coronavirus. That leads us on to um, you know, what other discretionary support that there might be um, that employers could potentially put into practice that are non-financial. Unfortunately, there's not a lot on offer from employers in terms of additional support um, for families, bereaved families. They may consider though expanding what support they do offer to employees who experience bereavement to the families of the employees themselves, um, which may include counselling, but uh, beyond that there is not a lot by way of discretionary assistance that is, is commonly available. And as you say, I mean there are, if the position is reversed and it's the person who is still the employee who has suffered the bereavement, there may be more uh, support available, but it just doesn't seem to extend to the families themselves. And that might be a key area for employers to start thinking about. Yes, absolutely. I think that is uh, an obvious area for development in terms of the support that employers offer as a matter of best practice to employees and, uh, and to bereaved families. Yeah, I think particularly in the current circumstances, particularly for employers who are employing people who are going to be at heightened risk because of the job they do, for example, like coming back to the people that are driving buses in London and the heightened risk that they have been at in terms of the pandemic. I think that concludes our discussion. We hope it's been really helpful. It's obviously a very difficult issue and we as a country and globally have been through what we hope will be the worst of the pandemic although who knows what's to come but what we do hope is that at least if we do have a second wave or further spikes that employers will be more well equipped to protect their workforces than they perhaps were at the beginning uh, there'll be more availability of PPE and more awareness of what health and safety measures should and can be put in place for employees particularly those who have to keep going to work and have to keep being exposed to risk because of the jobs they do. Um, and that hopefully we won't have to see a repeat of some of the real tragic events that we've seen over the last few months. So if you have any questions, do get in touch with us. Uh, you can get in touch with us at info at cm-murray.com or you can find any of our details on our website, which is www.cm-murray.com. That just leaves me to thank George and Wanu for this discussion and we hope that you've enjoyed listening.